0: Join us as we open another file in the Markov dossier.
1: File number
0: 290 two two zero two nine zero five two. File open.
1: Sir Luton, and welcome to this episode of The Markov Dossier, a Dystopian Age podcast. My name is Scott, and I'm here with Sam. Hi. And we've also been joined by Stuart and Chris from Walkout All Studios. Hi, guys. Good evening. Hello. Thanks for joining us. It's, well, it's absolutely our
0: pleasure. Thanks for having us. So, with tonight's episode, we've, we've got Stuart and Chris here for a reason, so let's look back. So... DW was launched in early 2021, and it's just past, we think about its 18-month mark, and it's fair to say things have been full steam ahead with regular updates and releases, and now with the 3.03 update, and last week's teaser something very exciting, it feels like the game is really going to take off, and the sky's the limit.
1: Love it. But don't you? Yeah, that's terrible, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, we imagine it's been a really busy time over at the studio what can you tell us has been going on and what do you want to tell us about what's coming up well i think it's <laughs> i think it's fair to say we want to know the stuff
2: yes well the the new the new the new box that we've just announced sorry Stu, what was that i said do you want to take this one but it's okay you are <laughs> yes as I was saying the new the new box that we have just announced the Styginium Skies two player set is uh, it's been in the works for some time obviously at our end it's been developed and sculpted and there's been machining and we've 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 had to sit on our hands and not scream and shout about it for some time but over the last couple of weeks obviously with the updates to all of the orbats um, Stu has literally had his head buried in his laptop, um, putting together all of the the updates, and we've been working through all the changes and playtesting all of the um, all the, the, the new bits in the in the rules. So it's it's been really really you know all hands to the pump for a little while now. So what we think that this is a really exciting time for Dystopian Wars. Not only have we got this fantastic set of gorgeous miniatures with lots of amazing aerial units for people to get stuck into, but the game itself is in a really good spot. We've used the last 18 months to listen to the community, listen to feedback from players and get some you know, plenty of games in ourselves and it's just the changes that we've made have really got, got it to the point where the game's in a really good place. It's very exciting.
0: So what can you tell us is in the set? We've seen the teaser shots so and we've got, we can make some pretty good educated guesses from the artwork, but what can you tell us that in us in there?
2: Well, the biggest thing that's in there is the Stark Imperium Sky Fortress, which is a, a gloriously large unit and it's a lovely miniature. It's really, really nice, fully plastic as well. It's our biggest fully plastic miniature that we've made and I think everyone will be quite excited by it. And it is accompanied by a, a number of Imperium airships, the Kriegsturm Assault airship, and we've got Jaeger aerial fast destroyers as well as aerial escorts as well. They're backed up by some, some Imperium cruisers and destroyers and then on the other side, for the Crown, we've got uh, new Pradane war rotors, Tintagel battle rotors and Saxon scout rotors forming the aerial part of the box. And then they're they're supported on the waves by Canadian submarines and cruisers. Newfoundland's.
0: Oh, that, that's one of the questions I was going to ask. Were they Canadian the boats we could, the ships we could see were the Canadian, but yes, they are. Yes, they are indeed.
2: And that indeed. that all ties in with the story of the campaign uh, that's in the in the box. You, not only do you get the full instructions and all the cards to use for all of those units, but there is a, a, a campaign to play through, narrative campaign that tells the story of the uh, the attack of the the Imperium attack on uh, Canada.
3: You guys are obviously uh, approaching this as you would do um, from the point of view of it being a box of models. But actually, for the studio and for what we are doing, the fact it's got miniatures in it is kind of secondary. The whole purpose of it, it's a two-player starter set. What we're doing is we're, we're really focusing... You know, the game's been out for about 18 months. We had some initial kind of um, you know, starter sets. We had Hunt for the Prometheus and we also had the Gubbins box. And then since then, everything we've done is really kind of releasing products to kind of expand the um, the setting. What we're doing now, though, is we're coming back round again to really focus on kind of introducing people to the game in a fresh way and, you know, in, and in some different ways. So we're Stigium Skies* is a, a new yeah, two-player. that's what
0: we were going to come round to. Because we knew I do it's a campaign set, which is like a refocusing, and it is a two-player. It is it's intended to be a two-player starter as, uh, as So we definitely wanted to focus round on that. Yeah, this is this is not just a box of models. This is a second way into this wonderful world that we've got created. That you created, sorry. That's not how we've created, I've not created. But yeah, that is really exciting to hear that this is going to be a full blown campaign with, you know, you're going to have uh, scenarios and so on. So you're going to be able to expand on, take those and expand on them and play out a story, which this is what I love so much about the whole dystopian Age. is so ripe for storytelling and so on. I'm so excited. I'm
1: flapping my hands. I'm really
0: excited about this.
1: With regards to what else is in the box, is it going to be similar to a sort of a mix between the Hunt for Prometheus and say one of the bigger faction boxes where you've got not only you've got the models but you have a campaign book, I would assume, a rule book or maybe a, yeah, like um quick start guide for rules and then dice measurements tokens that sort of thing and what's included in the big starter box obviously you know is the guides of how to build models is that going to be something that's going to be in the box of sort of a suggested build for each force
2: as you as you may have spotted by now we we have a we have a certain formula that we follow for most products Deginium Skies very much follows the formula of Hunt for the Prometheus in that it contains pretty much the same gubbins that you get in that box. So there's a rule book, there's token sets, there's template and sprue, there's enough dice for two players, there's two decks of victory and battle cards, and there's the campaign book. And that campaign book, in a similar vein to... The Humphrey Prometheus has got some has got a little vignette in there. It's got the campaign. It's got the assembly guides. It's got all the cards. So it's pretty much you can play this game absolutely out of the box. And that's the biggest thing for us with the starter sets is making sure that it is absolutely something that people can just hit the ground running with and it's immense value for money with all the stuff that you get in there and it just makes it easier for people to get into the game and just go right this is what i'm starting with let's let's get cracking let's do it
1: awesome it's quite interesting that the the set is entirely is it entirely plastic that i miss is it is entirely plastic so That's quite a big, like in in a year and a half, that's quite a big leap forward for yourselves because obviously the previous set included three large resin battleships. Is that something that's been on the cards for a while or is that something that you've just sort of realised we're able to take that step now?
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. It was certainly something that we wanted to try and achieve. You know, having... Being a company that's created plastic miniatures from nothing, and then, we, you know, it's funny because we've been looking back at some of the earlier plastic sprues that we've we've produced and seeing how much we can improve on them. You know, in the space of just over a year, we, you know, we can make massive changes to them. And what we wanted to do is be a bit ambitious and, and make a... Very large miniature that's that's just in plastic, and the added complication to the Stark Imperium is the fact that it's not a surface ship. So it has to be 360 degrees, which means you've got twice the volume to make <laughs> than you have a, a, a ship that floats on the water. So. Again, it was an opportunity to create something really cool out of plastic and and for our, our guys to really push the envelope on what they're, they're doing technically from an engineering perspective. And I think they've absolutely smashed it out of the park. So it's very exciting to, to get this out in front of people and just I can't wait to see what people think of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've only seen little teaser so far from the posts that have been and the little teaser that, uh, that Daz was painting up in the studio um, and just yeah. from those smashed it out of the park is
0: um of one statement, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like oh.
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's great to get it out as well because I've, I've had the 3D prints out on my desk for the last six months so it's just <laughs> it's great to be able to see
1: it out in the wild something that i was interested in is so from what i've seen of the old spartan range the flying units tended to have more than one flight stand for their aerial stuff um have you tried to avoid that with the new plastic it's because obviously they're a lot lighter than the old spartan resin stuff so have they just gone onto a single flight stand or yes
2: and, and yes, we have purposefully tried to avoid that. I just we just feel that it aesthetically looks a lot better, just to have the unit on one base rather than having multiple bases because it, they take up so much more room on the tabletop. And then being a flying unit means that if you if you've got you know two or four different flight stands to hold it up, nothing can maneuver around it.
3: It just looks prettier as well, otherwise you end up having, it doesn't matter how translucent it is, it just ends up looking like a lot of scaffolding sitting underneath the model. Um, Each time, I mean even one flight stand uh, kind of takes away from the idea that it's a floating object, Um, obviously (laughs) physics means that we have to have at least one. Um, but um yeah the more the more you have on it the more i mean eventually you get to a point one or just put a like a block a transparent block of plastic underneath it it just becomes yeah somewhat pointless yeah so we have done that uh, in part we've done it with the fact that it's you know on the whole it's hollow the models so the light materials but also the software that we use yeah you know, when they're engineering it they are engineering it with a with a, a view to the, the the balance of where it will go, and we do have these large bases as well, which which the mod uh, you know, the miniature sits on, which tends to kind of give a bit of a counterbalance to it as well. So the Imperium has quite a large uh, base that it's kind of mounted on, which again, from a gaming point of view, makes sense because there are some effects that talk about base contact and. The Imperium itself is obviously supported several inches above the table, so it makes sense to have something physical on the table surface for the game effects to come into contact with.
0: With the future releases, obviously we're not done with ships just yet. There's still plenty in the orbats that needs to be released, and obviously you want to be a split between ships, sky, ship, sky, or is it going to be every month there's going to be one of each? What have you got? We don't really make that
3: distinction as such. I mean, we're aware that there are... That that all the factions, you know, need to get some aerial units out there or more aerial units. So you will see some product, some sets coming out that will have either all aerial units or mostly aerial units, and that's just (coughs) because that's what we're expanding the faction with. But I mean, we've had aerial units in the game. The very first Union release had an aerial unit in it, so you know, aerial units have been part of. Dystopian Wars very very sure early up. in its in its development sure cycle but it it's just that now we're starting to see some of the larger units coming out for the factions and and that's when we were creating the second t- uh, two player starter set which obviously you know Hump for, uh, for the Prometheus isn't going anywhere so it, you know this is just another way of getting into the game it's not a an aerial expansion or anything like that it's just you know if you're a crown player and an imperium player great this is a great two-player set to get on board with but if you're an enlightened player or a commonwealth player then jump on board with hunt for the prometheus it's there's no there's no difference in terms of um one isn't more or less complicated than the other or um you know a better way in they're both great ways you know so sort of into the into the game but yes you will see more aerial units coming out and more submerged units as well again we that's another part of the uh kind of the battlescape that we you know we're kind of expanding more into you know we had some you know some early submerged units in some of the uh, faction sets but um now you're seeing particularly like the ukrainians and things and the japanese will see uh, a lot of submerged units coming out you know for them so you're going to see more of that kind of stuff but i wouldn't i wouldn't read into that as being some kind of you know Grand strategy, so much as it—it's it just—it it was necessary because starting the game as we did in in plastic and you know in, in kind of the quite quite confident release schedule we have, it we had to release a lot of naval ships first because you needed to have your cruisers, your battleships, your you know your frigates, your destroyers. That that needed to be what the releases were for the first year of the game because that's what that's the kind of the backbone of of the factions now we've done that now we've got that kind of base in. we can start to get in the same way that the you know the kind of the giant you know the colossals and all all the kind of the weird and wonderful dystopian technology that's all now coming out too and it's not because we've just decided that that's what we're going to do but it's like this is really the earliest that we could realistically bring it out after we've released you know dozens and dozens of you know sets for the naval stuff to give everybody we've got eight factions in the game so each of them needed to get the carriers and the frigates and the destroyers and the cruisers and heavy cruisers and battleships and all the other bits and pieces that we needed to get out and you know and for many people it's still not enough you know there are italian you know fans who are like well where's my where's my mars battleship there's egyptians they're going okay where's my you know where are my heavy skimmers and yeah so there's so much stuff coming and we haven't even touched on the Indian Raj or Australia and um, we haven't looked you know in any kind of big detail on Korea and uh, for the empire the empire are missing a you know quite important chunk of their um their kind of their trifecta of power which is Korea Japan and China and um, Koreans haven't really had anything out not counting the very very small pilots that are in the um, SRS, who are all Korean. But that aside, there, there isn't you know we haven't really touched on that yet. So there's there's lots to come, lots of exciting stuff to come, and Ariel is going to be
0: a big part of that. Awesome. That kind of leads me into my next question, which is without giving anything away, just looking at what's got you going. I can't wait till you guys see this just just like the faction just like yeah you're to you you see this <laughs> I love it um, well look I, and I was thinking about
2: this as Stu, as Stu was just talking I was thinking that it's quite frustrating for us to know all of the cool stuff that we've got in the pipeline and not get it we just want all of it out now we want every single thing that we've got planned next month so that it's just out there and it's it's like a you know a, a countdown clock for every single release that we have and there's i mean i'm struggling to think of something in particular because there's something for every faction that is really cool i'll,
3: I'll throw um, one in uh, the Corcaroli colossus i think is going to be it's going to be quite cool for the sultanate
0: oh <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow,
1: okay, that's just made Scott happy <laughs> very
3: happy. It's very different um, to any of the colossal so people look at them like they look at the Hockmeister and that, and they and even I find myself saying it sometimes is, oh, robots but obviously they're not robots because they're automata they're they're crewed, they have um you know they have a a, bridge, you know, a command crew and various other engine rooms and other bits they're you know they are war machines rather than uh, automata on the whole but the Corcorolli Colossus for the Sultanate is going to be interesting because it's still a a Colossus it isn't a robot or an automata but it only has a crew of one because for the Corcaroli, being in a kind of slightly larger than man-sized suit of armour which is what they are um, with the Corcorolli themselves Um, is no different to being in something that is kind of, well, about the size of a cruiser. So, yeah, and the other thing you'll see is, and this will be in the rules, but also in the way that the miniature is being concepted and, and um, and sculpted eventually, will be that it is more like a... it moves like a person. It doesn't move like a lumbering war machine kind of thing. It moves like you know as lively and fluidly as a as a human being would do um that's just very very big so it um it is able to do things that the other colossal couldn't couldn't you know the the other classes couldn't even dream of doing you know it just wouldn't even be possible so that's i mean it's not as big as a hot i do yeah before people are expecting it to be this giant you know corcoroli wading through the water well for a start it doesn't wade it flies but yeah it's um yeah it, it, there's lots to look forward to for that i think that's that's quite exciting but again that's where i share chris's frustration it's that's kind of quite bleeding edge i mean you're not going to see that out for a little while we've got so much cool stuff and that as I was mentioning earlier about for us it's not just about cool models and I know cool models are, are great but it is also about it's about the health of the game and getting new players into the game is is essential and we want to have as many great ways for people to get in as possible so Hunt for the Prometheus and Sturginium Skies are two ways for two players to get on board the Gubbins set is a way for people to get in and then they can pick up boxes but we're also We've got faction starter sets coming out. We've got um, loads more kind of recruitment and kind of demoing focus. We've got things like um, uh, organised play we're we're looking at. We've got our first big, really, really sexy narrative campaign, which is going to be something that people will be able to get and then uh, get involved in. I mean, this thing is thick in terms of narrative background material and you know loads of rules for you know for really getting into the game and exploring the dystopian age that's that's a kind of as well as the really cool miniatures that stuff i think is what's going to really help grow and push the game and and make the game exciting
0: awesome as a war host i'm still looking forward to seeing all that because i'm desperate to get out there and start promoting some more stuff again but I'm struggling to get older people (laughs) I want to but yeah that should really help
1: This is going back a little bit, I was just about to ask about is there any things for narrative campaigns or or things like, I know it's been discussed before but I'm just going to step back over so slightly, do you find that you have to sort of rein yourself in sometimes with some of the ideas because obviously the dystopian age is quite a big setting and there's lots of interesting and, and weird and wonderful things in there is there, because I know that there's the, the joke on the uh, Discord that regularly pops up is um, the Statue of Liberty on the hoverboard when's it coming back sort of thing and obviously you've said that's definitely you know. but do you ever find yourself thinking well this would be great and then you have to think actually because of the setting and uh, the rules that would have to accompany it maybe we need to take this down a couple of notches to, to fit in
3: Chris, do you want to take that one? Because you will be on the one side of the fence on this and I'm on the other.
2: (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think we really have to rein ourselves in on anything because the beauty of the dystopian age is that anything's possible with weird pseudo-Victorian super science. You can pretty much do whatever you like. And with what Stu was just talking about, you know, Corkeroli, you know, suddenly you're into a realm of having an alien soul inhabiting a, you know, a man-made construct, and it it just, you know, (laughs) that's really not reining ourselves in in any way, shape, or form. So, but no, certainly we we have enough ideas that fit solidly within the dystopian age and within the framework of the narrative and the feel and the aesthetics of dystopia wars that. You know we we're really not struggling to find anything just you know there's, there's a a real plethora of really cool stuff that that we've got lined up so yeah some of it some of it's you know fairly mundane as in not mundane but you know as in uh, kind of along the the framework of things that people have already seen and then we've got some other bits which are really kind of throwing a curveball Um, and taking it up to the next level. And again, it it allows people to pick and choose. If somebody likes the more weird, outlandish, crazy stuff, then they've got it. If people want to stick to something that's a little bit more, you know, alternate history and more realistic in inverted commas, then there's there's stuff there for, for those players too. So we want to make it as diverse as we can to draw as many people in, you know, so, so cast the net wide and, and we just get a, a wider community of players and people that enjoy the game at a different level. I
3: think Chris is uh, really good at reining me in uh, sometimes, but also I think Chris is really good as a counterpoint. The, the two of us work well together, I think, collaboratively in in because we both just want the best possible um thing for dystopian wars you know we want to create the best possible whatever it is miniatures campaign rule set um experience you know whatever whatever it is um and there are times when we've worked closely together to make something that was either not to keep you know to use the same word that chris did, like mundane but like kind of like a meat and potatoes and we've because of the way that the background is, we've had to m- look at it again, and I'll give you an example: of like the Hachiman. The Hachiman for the Japanese, very early in its concept, was an aircraft carrier. But the dystopian age, the background is very clear: that the Japanese don't have aircraft carriers because the way that the um, the, the empire is structured, the Japanese are not allowed to um, have kind of dominion over the air. Um, that's the sort of purview of the, of the koreans yeah you know, and because they're all they're all one big happy ish great power it's not a problem it's just you know you focus on this and you focus on that but it did mean that when we were concepting up the Hachiman, okay it had to be back to the drawing board because it can't be an aircraft carrier and that's why then the kind of the pushing ourselves and really and that's when then the um the Rinexo subs and things were kind of worked into it because that that led us. What we didn't want to do is to just keep coming up with things or coming up with excuses, like reasons. So, for example, the the Chinese have the Tianlong, which is a dragon, a big mechanical dragon colossus. Well, that's not allowed in the the empire's structure. The Chinese shouldn't have an aerial colossus. That's just not something they should have authority over. But because of kind of the the kind of the nod to the game before and actually because dragons are so i mean yes they are part of korean culture and also part of japanese culture but they're they're a large part of chinese culture we felt it was it was important that it was a chinese unit uh, that was created so we came up with the the explanation as to why this was tolerated but if you keep coming up with explanations as to why these things are tolerated eventually the distinction between it is just irrelevant then because we you know there are only so many units that we're going to come up with for the uh, for the game you know in a particular category and if every one of them's got an exception as to why it exists then it just becomes well you might as well not have the rule as to why it doesn't exist kind of thing so we knew with the Hatchman that we weren't going to let the Japanese have a carrier We've let them have scout things in the past, but we weren't going to let them have a full carrier. That had to be a, if somebody wanted to be just playing with Japanese, that would be a, a drawback that they would have. And I know that some players out there are going to want to challenge themselves with that. So with the hatcherman, it let us do something, keep to the spirit of the way that the, the, the faction is designed, but actually then gave us an exciting new tactical option. So I think that's a, a great example of where we took something that could have been more kind of straightforward and conventional, but we then kind of let ourselves go crazy with, with the opportunity that the dystopian age gives us, you know, that, that kind of freedom of imagination and, and really kind of Chris and I collaborating and suggesting and back and forthing and then obviously handing over to the people that have really got talent, which is the artists and the sculptors and everybody else. And we came up with something which I think when you see the Hatcherman and the Renexos and things, it's fantastic. It, I think it's a really great miniature. But then Chris has such an important role to play because on the other side of things, I sometimes let my... I will get caught up in the kind of the creative what-if kind of uh, mindset. And, uh, and I like a challenge. And so when we talk about the Statue of Lipsy on a skateboard, a flying skateboard, that was definitely something that I... I wanted to do better and not do that. Because it's not because we can't do it, but I don't want a miniature on the table where somebody just walks past as they're off to play something else and go, that looks dumb. And um, I'm afraid for whatever reason, but for most people, that's what that miniature, Lady Liberty, that is what that miniature evokes for them. It's like, it is that step too far. It's just because it's too recognisable as something from our world and then it's just been stuck on a antigrav platform kind of thing. It just it it didn't it doesn't quite work, and and perhaps also because we're so used to having stat seeing the Statue of Liberty in gift shops at about that kind of size. And actually, if you sprayed it gold, I don't think it'd be it'd be a million miles away. So yeah, there was there was that as an issue. So um, I took it to a extreme perhaps with the uh, with the artists and Chris gratefully reined me in and um, collaborating. I think, again, we've come up with something that I think is going to keep most people very happy. I mean, we're not going to please everybody, but I think the finished thing, and I'm not going to go into all the detail of it, but the finished thing that we have, have for some people with some optional bits and pieces, for some people is going to be enough for them And for other people, it's going to be... uh, That's great, but just not in my fleet. So, uh, yeah, I I think we've come up with something that will be
2: suitable. Do you think that's fair, Chris? Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't have put it better
0: myself. I can't wait to see that. (laughs) I want to see it.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because, like you say, getting new players into the game... And going back to Stiginium Skies, I think that the set is going to definitely bring people to tables because it is going to be something that's quite big recognisable but distinct as well this is probably like a a far flung question will there be more of those sort of starter sets in the future? Um,
2: Well it's been 18 months between Humphrey Prometheus and Stiginium Skies um, and uh, I, I don't think I don't think it's probably the best idea to have a whole bunch of different two-player starter sets because it's designed as a as a as an easy entry point into the game. So if someone's not sure they want to they want to try dystopian wars, they want to get into it, but they don't really know much about it. They can pick up a two-player starter set, and there's everything they you know they need to get into it. And whether they then stick to the factions that they've got in that box, or whether they start to expand outside of those factions yeah it's up to them but actually having a a a single player action specific starter set is probably a better way to go he says enigmatically
1: Were the crown and imperium always on the cards for the second two-player starter set or was it sort of a a reactive thing because they're quite popular factions
3: no it was always the intention um, we deliberately went with the. We deliberately went with. Okay, so it's a two-player starter set. So it's an it's the introduction to Dystopian Wars. We deliberately went with the Commonwealth and the Enlightened as the first one because we felt that it was because it, it was a statement that we were making. You know, that, uh, and there was a great. I mean, once we had, once we knew what the factions would be. We knew we definitely wanted the enlightened in it to tie into Wildbus Exodus, and we once we knew that we probably were going to go with a kind of a more conventional force, but also with a few little tricks in it. That's why we then, you know, again taking, lifting straight out the narrative uh, threads, with Markov and um, you know the Commonwealth made perfect sense for it. So, and, and that 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 set kind of uh, established itself when we. We're looking sort of to go into for the next thing. We knew that creating these plastics, as Chris had been saying, was a you know for the aerial units was a big thing in terms of the studio production. It, it, it's another step up for us in terms of engineering. So we wanted to kind of showcase that to give people that impression of again a really great introduction to dystopian wars because these two box sets are going to be the first thing that most people see when they see dystopian wars so for us it was really important that it gave them the setting in a in a box as it were and the imperium and the crown are natural in anybody that doesn't play dystopian wars and just is aware of history there is a certain adversarial quality to them that that sits quite well, and the idea of in the actual narrative, the idea of these kind of two supremely arrogant forces. I mean, the crown um, having their Pax Britannia for centuries and thinking that they are literally the only the only game in town. They are, from their point of view, they are the only great power, and everybody else is either an upstart or you know is second rate. And then the, you've got the Imperium, who are just absolutely galvanised themselves, really kind of focused and disciplined, and and now are very calculating and kind of pushing out and um, challenging the Crown where they need to. I mean, the Crown don't realise it, but the uh, you know the stiletto blade has gone under the ribs already um, from the Imperium, and the Imperium is making these, these very precise strikes in the crown's most vulnerable spots and will just bleed it out and then it will take its position. That's, that's the Imperium, uh, yeah, their strategy. There's nothing, there's no hatred or maliciousness to it. It is, this is the order of things. This is the way it needs to be. The crown have had their time, but the time is past. They're now decadent and corrupt. And the Imperium is, is a better steward for the world than the crown so with that as a kind of a narrative thread going through it all you then look at somebody coming into the game and sort of seeing the that iconic as chris was talking about that that giant dirigible with the with the kind of aircraft carrier landing platform on top and all these other you know aerial ships zipping around and then the the rotors for the crown and that so just it visually it's going to you know it it was always going to be a very strong look to it uh, we knew that we knew that the uh, stark imperium was going to be the uh the kind of the iconic i mean it, it was iconic from the classic game that it, it was an iconic miniature that we'll be bringing into the um it, into the current you know the current incarnation of dystopian wars and and everything else just kind of logically followed from that um so we might do a two player starter set uh you know, another one in the future but i don't think there's any Uh, Chris is absolutely right. I don't think there's there's not a need to do a union versus um, union versus. At a guess, I would say probably union versus alliance, and then I don't know. I don't know actually naturally where the two where the other two you know the other remaining four factions where they would naturally pair up. You would want something that would that would sit nicely against each other. And I don't think... I think we've got two really nice, strong, introductory things. It would almost be a say, you know for the sake of doing more two-player sets, for almost just for a completionist sense, just so that we could say that we had all of the factions in there. Whereas Chris is quite right. There are other ways that we can introduce people into those factions, other types of things we can do
0: and so that's what we're going to do. Talking about different factions so has brought me nicely into this. One of the things I'm quite really excited about is the mercy fleets, and being able to, do, for a start, it gives you access to more models to be in your faction. You don't have to think about starting in your faction. I've got these models and I love them. The Black Wolf set, I've, I'm so torn because I, I want the Black Wolf set and I also want the moving Lighten set as well. And I'm probably going to want the Your Skies when it comes out as well, so I'm pretty torn, but I'm going to do it for first. But those sets, the Mercenary Fleets, are really, really good idea because it lets you pull in all the different factions. Are we going to see more... Well, okay, we've got the... On the Orbats at the moment, we have one, two, three, four, five Mercenary Fleets named. Obviously, we'll see those released at some point. Are there going to be more Mercenary Fleets? Because there's a couple of factions that haven't got one. Enlightened don't have a Mercenary Fleet, and I'm thinking Carpathian's faction of it would be an ideal... Uh, mercenary fleet concept so you face that, what, can you tell us anything what's coming about the mercenary fleet i trying to get out of it sorry the man who
3: plots from a warehouse in a desert <laughs> yeah. do you feel he is best suited to have a naval battle fleet mercenary around the world just, 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 I'm, just, I'm, I'm clearly understanding where you're coming from So, the guy that sits in Arizona yeah, a place that is landlocked uh, uh, he is your he is your logical choice for a for a mercenary force uh, 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 on the high seas.
0: Maybe not in Carpathian himself, but his he, he, if I get this right, get this word out without tripping over my teeth. Egalitarian philosophy of available to the highest bidder. Somebody associated with Carpathian may have a fleet player of some sort. Is what's the call, Chris?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't certainly from in my headspace, Carpathian is a long way away from having the resources available to put together a fleet or purchase a fleet. You know, he's, you know, Wild West Exodus is very much localized um, geographically contained game within the dystopian age. And while there are certain concepts and ideas and one or two characters that have some influence and standing in a global level, very few of them do. So when you take the whole world into consideration and the scope of dystopian sorry dystopian wars within the dystopian age, you're talking about, you know, actual national navies and, you know, the, the act the proper peers within the Enlightened who have access to phenomenal amounts of currency and their own huge manufacturing ports and such like, which means that they're able to create this these forces and and, and kind of take a physical stand against other nations around the globe. I'm not sure how Carpathian fits into that, but look, you know, it's it's a lovely idea. It certainly does bring one of the beloved characters from Wild West Exodus
0: into Dystopian Wars, which is which is cool. I like that. Damn it, <laughs> that was worth it. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, the mercenary Fleets, I love them as a concert because it gives you an opportunity to have more more than just one. Faction without going all into another faction, especially for someone like me where I have to juggle my pennies quite a lot. So I can, so I can say, look, it's still only one. I've not gone into another faction. I've just bought some different shaped boats. Honestly, <laughs>
3: <laughs> what I would say is, yes, mercenaries are cool, and yeah, there are. We are going to release more mercenaries. They allow, but um, particularly the. Um, Crimson League is going to be that—that'll that, be quite exciting. The Honorable Eclipse Company um, are going to, you know, bring some interesting stuff into the game. So there's some, there, there's some good ones. I mean, they're all—they're all interesting, but there's some which actually narratively open up some new opportunities. Bear in mind, Crimson League ties the Enlightened and the Sultanate. Yeah, so there's some interesting interplay there, and, and so on. But um, what we're also doing, though, is. This is something when we talk about narrative campaigns, which we're not going to talk about in any kind of real depth right now, but we have a a kind of a a strong pillar of next year is going to be narrative. Yeah, background. Really, the only background in the game is what's in the back of the rule book. Uh, That will change. There is as much background going to be kind of put into print, you know, in 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 one particular release that will be as much if not more background than we have released for the entire game so far so we have we have big chunks of background coming out for uh, dystopian wars and one of the focuses on that is about humanizing the factions a little more insofar as actually some of these characters and things because the game's such a tiny scale uh, you know, a, a person is smaller than a grain of rice. You know, in terms of the um, the scale on the table, but in the background, in the narrative, some of these bigger figures can really kind of start to step forward and, and have a larger role to play. So we're going to be focusing more on that, and we will. Yes, Carpathian and the the egalitarians are, you know, they're 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 all exciting and fun for Wild West Exodus. But it's the custodians who are the, the real power base in the uh, covenant, and you will learn to love them in oh so many ways when we uh, when we when we detail them. So, you know, you're going to see Sturgeon, you're going to see you know, Warmaster Schneider, you're going to see uh, uh, Lady Juliana Drakenberg. You're going to really start to get much more of a sense of who these characters are what they're doing why they're doing it and what their their end game is and why it involves naval battle fleets bashing each other to bits all across the globe so that's something that we're going to focus on and in the same way that yes okay the mercenary fleets do allow you to kind of play with more models and, and do some other stuff and that's cool but actually what this will let you do is this will make you very very excited for whatever faction you have chosen to be your actual faction uh, you'll really you owe know, the union uh, some fantastic stuff just in terms of why they do what they do and what their, you know the concept of them is uh, the stuff with um, the alliance as well how the alliance works how the empire works all this kind of stuff we're really going to get into the kind of the meat of that uh, people that want to do role play games and things well we're not quite there yet but in terms of the the motivations and how things are for for people within those factions you're really going to start to get a sense of that next year so that's the kind of thing i think that is going to make people get very excited and then you know when you fall in love with a faction as you guys know you start picking up the models and that's the only justification you need that's very true
0: (laughs) i love my enlightened (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the things I like about the like We are discussing this on our last podcast, the alienness of the newer ships you, that are coming. It really does look like the the, the guys at Wells Casm are putting this stuff together, but not entirely sure how all this works, all the architecture. It's it's clearly not human architecture. They're just, yes, okay, that works. Okay, and that does stuff when we press this button. Okay, we'll go with that. We love... It's experiment. It looks really experimental. It isn't looking nat- naturally human. I love the aesthetic that they like to have on their stuff, on their sh- on their boats. It's
1: brilliant. Just thinking. So for the the campaign, I know you don't really want to speak on it, but would it be unfeasible to think that there may be a global narrative campaign that people might be able to take part part in where you could upload your results and maybe shape the future of the the law or is that set in stone so
3: there's different things we're talking about there so what you're talking about is a like a global campaign type thing yes that's something we want to do we're obviously the guys over at on tabletop which is you know part of the same company as war cradle they're they're very keen to kind of work with us and kind of explore that so that's something we are talking about but again, you know you need to make sure that's where this this, you know, this kind of growing the player base. you can't just create something that's amazing like that with the greatest respect for you know a thousand players kind of thing. It needs to be something like that. you need to get like 10,000 people kind of actively in, you know involved in it to really make it special because otherwise you're kind of dangling something like that, and then, you know an incredible amount of work goes into it and it's it's amazing for each of the people involved but obviously we have to look at it in terms of the what it's doing for the community and and i'm not sure that that kind of thing is what the community needs right now i think it's more getting more people on board and then starting to give people the tools to kind of get their um their organized play in their local stores and get you know and, and tournaments and you know ladder leagues and that kind of that kind of stuff, I think, is is where we need to be to begin with, and then that can feed into a kind of a big global campaign, kind of following on from that. But we need to, again, we need to get the foundations of what that would look like uh, first of all. Um, but in terms of the other bit that you're talking about, which is shaping the narrative, so. Dystopian Wars and the Dystopian Age is a sandbox on the whole. So it's a... We talk about the year being 1870X. So it is sometime in the 1870s. There will be narrative campaign sets that will specifically detail the histories around a particular region at a particular time. Um, and But that will be a to accompli. That will be a... This is what happened in in the official story. This is what happened then, and there will be some gains for various factions. But on the whole, the you know the world will not have erupted into this kind of all, in, all all engulfing world war. Or you know we we want the most important adventures that are happening and the most important stories that are being told, are the stories that the players are coming up with in their own metas, in their own communities and things that's so whatever is happening in your campaign in your stores or uh, clubs or whatever that's the exciting you know the exciting bit we'll provide you with a load of narrative background to kind of which you know with threads that you can pull on to kind of explain why certain things are, are important and, and who this person is and why they're asking you to do this and so on but we want to give you loads of tools to Have really great stories yourselves, rather than rely on you know you're going to do your thing and you're going to have a a, you know great fun and then actually because of the way that the global campaign has gone, actually it didn't you know the story kind of skewed off in a way that isn't reflected in your in your stores and in your community and that's not really something we want to do. So we'll we're signposting what the world looks like and where these flashpoints are and yes, the Imperium might make gains in. You know, um, the um, cyclone of shadows, but they won't make gains in some other corner, some other campaign. That 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 won't happen. So, it, it, the game, uh, the background of the rule book talks about there being this kind of uh, this interbellum, this kind of this this, this moment before, and uh, you know, a minute to midnight kind of thing. It's the factions are these great tectonic plates, kind of grinding into each other, and your games are basically those points of friction between between the factions. Is the kind of trying to find these these fault lines, these these weak points in their points of contact between each other. That's dystopian wars, and actually that's the dystopian age. If it was to kick off beyond that, and we were to kind of push it into a global, you know, an all-out war, the danger is is that then because of oh. the, te- the technologies and things we we're, we're talking about i mean they have they have inventions and things in the dystopian age that are in excess of where we are now in the modern age the war would be so terrible and so uh, horrend- you know it would just uh, be, be unimaginable and would probably be relatively quick and if i'm if i'm honest i'm not actually sure it would be that interesting either because they have atomic, you know, they have atomic weapons. They have portals. They have all sorts of really dreadful things. And the thing that's holding them back at the moment from using them at uh, that kind of scale is this idea that um, there are these eight factions who are all vying for small gains against each other, um, hoping that eventually then they decide that they have a decisive gain and that they can then make that action. That's more interesting, seeing them kind of playing against each other than actually the grand finale when it all goes to hell. Because then there's giant mushroom clouds over everything and portals and, you know, vaporized hordes of killer uh, machines and things like that. and, uh, And that's it that's the end of the dystopian age. Everybody's dead. That's less exciting.
0: More fun in games <laughs> until someone opens a really big portal. Exactly.
3: Open the portal <laughs> on the sun and, and it's game over. Which, which, bearing in mind that the Order has that. The Order can. The Order can vaporise the Earth if they believe it's necessary. So, you know, th- let's... Narratively, let's, ha- let's explore the tension of things and let's explore the sabre-rattling and, you know, people you know what happens in in this particular region or what have you that's you know at the level of the game that we're playing where you're you're down to individual ships and and battle fleets and things that's the that's the level that we're we're concerned with the kind of geopolitical global stuff is great narrative source for the goose but that isn't that isn't the Dystopian wars—it's a dystopian age, but it's not dystopian wars. Dystopian wars is very much about what you're doing on your club night with your friends and your—you know—the new people that you're going to encounter, rolling the dice and and having a—you know—a wicked time to spend a couple of hours. That's dystopian wars. Yeah, that's
0: what we want.
1: Yeah, I think it—it's it, a really interesting and like it's unique. Both Wild West Texas and Dystopian Wars is—it's not we're going to tell you a story. It's you tell us your stories. Uh, and it definitely comes out at the end of the games. There's always always a lot of stuff to talk about. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that.
0: It's a writer's dream. It really is, this setting.
1: Yeah. I have nothing left asked, so I will open the floor. If there's anything you would like to discuss, any any information you'd like to give out.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, there's, like... So much! I'd love to get out. I'd like to sit here for another hour or so, just talking about uh, all the cool and amazing stuff that we've got coming down the pipe. The massive, you know, you know, flyers that we've got for the aerial units for some of the factions, the, the dreadnoughts and things that we've got planned, and yeah, it's just there's just so much coming, and I think it's. If you look at the bars online at the moment and the the number of players that are getting into the games, the number of people that are showing pictures of their painted miniatures, uh, I think right now is an excellent time to jump on board with the Dystopian Wars and start getting a, a group together in your local store or in your club or even just in your
0: local group of friends and just get some games in. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good time to be jumping into this game. It's not been a bad time to jump into this game, but this is a really, really good time to get into this game right now, I think. I've got questions, but they're not, not they're not dystopian wars related, and I'll have to ask them another time.
2: I, I think I think we've covered off quite enough. Let's uh, keep our power to dry for another session, shall we?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Keep people wanting more. That's what they, they say. <laughs> so
0: thank you so much for joining us, guys. We really appreciate every time you, you're willing to do yes. this. It's brilliant. No, It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us.
3: Yep. Many thanks. Have a good
0: night, guys. Speak to you later.
1: Thanks very much, guys. From the pages of the Interbellum Illuminator, the latest field intel. Okay, so this month's news but before we get into the news for all these lovely releases that are coming out we've teamed up with the guys at driftwood games to give you a extra 10% discount for all you lovely listeners out there so if you use the promo code markov0922 at the checkout you will get an extra 10% off their already discounted range for all war cradle stuff so that's scenics wild west exodus dystopian wars that includes the pre-orders if you don't see the pre-orders up on the website if you just drop them a mail it's on their website and just say you would like to order that and quote that you will still get that 10 percent discount off your order
0: and it's the time of the podcast when we discuss next month's releases Looks a bit quiet, to be honest. A bit disappointing. There's not much going on, is there?
1: No, not really. Not a lot.
0: No, yeah, Not at all. Not a lot. Of course there is. Okay. At the time when we were talking to Stuart and Chris the other day, they hadn't, we hadn't seen the new models. All we'd seen was the teaser. It's now Wednesday and we've seen the photos. And I think it's fair to say we're incredibly impressed by what we're seeing. Stuart yeah. and Chris certainly were not overselling it when they were saying these are some of the best models they've done. They definitely are. So let's dive right in, have a little chat about what's in Sturgeonium Skies. So right at the top is the Stark Imperium Sky Fortress, which is obviously the centrepiece model, and, oh my goodness, it's great.
1: (laughs) It looks so good, it is almost like they've lifted it out of the concept art. It's almost spot on from the concept art. The anti-air guns are slightly larger than on the concept i think but that's about it everything else is spot on and it's plastic i am in awe of it it's it's
0: it's a thing it really is a thing of beauty it just is it looks it looks practical for a start. You can imagine this thing would actually could actually exist here if the technology was there at the time. So it is a cross between a so you have the classic airship shape with this with the brick mixed in with the dystopian elements like the bridge, the flight deck, and all the guns and the sort of instead of propellers we've got jet engines and the, and a huge cannon on the front. It's a Sturm... Clot Stone Bringer, isn't it, on the front, yeah. sticking out front. You'll love it. You want to own it just to have it. Mm-hmm. You really do. And then you sport patrols because there's two different classes. The Stark Imperium is the carrier version, so it's got a flight deck on top, launching. I can see a uh, one of their fighters on the top deck there, surrounded by the flak veilings. Or you can build the Zeppelin class aerial dreadnought, which swaps out the flight deck for rocket launchers. Yeah. And that just looks Almost rocket launchers. rocket launchers. And that look just looks really, really, really nasty. Yeah. That's just gonna kill everything in sight for quite some time.
1: Yeah. Like swap out the SRS for just a ton of rockets. I I like the fact as well that they've like it's it's obvious that they've done this, but they they've kept the design cue from the other Imperium stuff. So they've the bridge from the ships is the same as the bridge that you've got at the front of the dirigible, and it it just works so well. And it like you say, it looks so so much like it could work in real life. There's the structures sort of keeping the balloon part in the middle in place, like it does on a on a regular airship. It, um has the jet engines, has the fins, it just looks it looks amazing. I'm really curious to see. And it's something that well it's something that I talk about a lot is that having them on their own it's hard to tell what size they are. Um, There's the big picture but again until you get them in front of you it's really tricky to understand how big some of the things are that and it's it's really tricky to, to get the dimensions just, you know, on a on a white background with nothing else there. But I'm really curious to see how big it is because it looks massive to me. It looks like a good proper like aircraft carrier plus size to me.
0: Yeah. I'm just trying to find that photo of Daz holding it in his hand.
1: He's got mm. to be concealed, but
0: his hand isn't closing around it easily. It's not like it's you can easily just get your fingers round it. It's a chonky boy. I think it's the best way to describe it, but I'm just trying to find that photo, see how close Dad's hand is, but you know, it's way down the Dystopian Wars page. Come on, Dad, where have you, where's your hand?
1: It looks battleship-sized, but but it's yeah. going to be taller, because looking at the cruisers, it's definitely like the size of maybe bigger than a Lecter battleship. And we'll come on to the other things in comparison to that, but I'm really... Really interested to see because it's going to be something that's definitely going to be drawing people at the tables. It's like, what, what is that? That's awesome. Yeah.
0: It's going to be one you want to put your best paint job on.
1: Yeah.
0: Or in my case, paint someone else to paint. Just put their best paint job on them because I'm a bit intimidated by it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's the that's the Stark Imperium and the Zeppelin zeppelin dreadnought the next one we've got there to look at are the smaller uh, imperial airships yeah. So you've got the Kriegsturm class which is an assault airship and I've mentioned this already to you but the the smaller airships give me strong classic Flash Gordon vibes Yep. long cigar shapes with fins on the back and a bridge on the top you can almost hear Brian Blessed Gordon's alive <laughs> because these just do look so Flash gordon in an awesome way
1: awful yep. oh. yeah so they remind me very much of the Rocketeer because of the fins and the sort of classic look it has to it
0: yeah so there's two smaller sizes we can see for the Prussians part of the pr- build, you've got the Kriegsturm, the Assault-class, and the smaller, which I think is the Escort one, the Jäger-class, Fast Aerial Destroyer. There you go it is, which has a very even more rockety look.
1: Yes, that, that does have a super rockety look. Um, and they're all, like, the big ones are cruiserish size in length, maybe a bit shorter. Mm-hmm. And again, they're a bit sort of taller, I would say. I don't know. I think the volume is possibly a little bit smaller on those, and the even smaller aerial destroyer
0: yeah.
1: is roughly the same sort of size as the destroyers that you get.
0: Yeah, I think it's a frigate, frigate destroyer size. Yeah, yeah. So they they look great. Rocket ship, rocket, rocket airships.
1: Yeah.
0: They look they look fast and they look dangerous then on the blog we've got the support cruisers which we've seen before the conrads the writer the volsler we've seen all those and the sigma we've seen those before we know what they're like and then finally the last new one for the Imperium is the aerial escort which is tiny and beautiful
1: yes i mean it looks it looks so cool and and tiny but my god it's going to be so hard to paint one of those.
0: <laughs> Single hair brush. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, really gently. you
0: um, need those magnifying glasses.
1: <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But that's cool because, you know, aerial escorts, escorts are now becoming a more separate thing to what they were, so the classes of boats are not escorts anymore. I can't remember the exact name of the rule, but escorts are now their own... Definitive thing. But escorts are now specifically unit type. They are represented by these tiny little things. So you've got tiny little airships. You had some in the Last Enlightened set, didn't you, as well, if I remember rightly? Uh,
0: I think, yeah, we've got some sort of escort in the Last Enlightened set, yeah.
1: So, yeah, they look awesome. Should we move on to the crown?
0: Let's move on to the crown, which is just when you think the Imperium's as good as it gets. The crown are just another thing. Completely different design cues, but brilliant all the same. You couldn't say one's better than the other. You can just say that they're very different in look.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So with the crown, you get a Pridane class war rotor. Now, this isn't the biggest one they do. We know there's another class called the Avalon, but we haven't got that yet. But this is cruiser size. this war rotor, I think. Yep, two main guns on it, the big turbo fans off it, uh, I'm sure you can probably spot a, a, uh, a, refer- a reference in there, but uh, again, incredibly well detailed, and again, looks practical. Yep. Very very crowny. Still yeah. lots of uh, ridiculous scrollwork on on the front of the ship. Wonderful set of fins on on the back with the rock the motors sticking out the back with the fin with the fins on. Just looks so totally right for the the faction. The bridge is very solid looking. As, as we know everything everything about the crown is solidly built. Lots of box girders and the smokestacks and mm-hmm. two walking great turrets on it, which don't look out of place. They look. Right, then it's the standard well, standard triple turret that the crown get. Yeah, just it looks right, and it looks yeah again. This looks manoeuvrable, looks powerful. Yep. It's it, it's something to you want to own. Yeah. Crown players are going to be very happy with that.
1: I mean, I'm 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 really happy with how they look. Again, it looks like it's straight out of the artwork. It's it's spot on from what we've seen previously. It just looks cool. It just looks really good. The turret service is slightly different. I was just looking at uh, the smoke stacks are sort of more straight than um, yeah. the rounded tops, and it looks like maybe that's like one big block all together, which would be quite good because some of the the chimneys
0: yeah, are Crown ships together, those those individual smoke stacks together quite <laughs> thinly. Like, and slightly annoying when you get the wrong size <laughs> and glue it on. You're like, that might look the same as all the other, but oh. I put the small ones on by accident. The other rotors you get are the Tintagel class and the Saxon class. Again, straight off the drawings almost. Uh, the Tintagel class has a definite flying boat look about it for a very classic Art Deco look. For, if you think about the, the, uh, the, the images of the heyday of the flying boat in the 1930s and the glamour of it. How they've made a warship look glamorous new turrets on top as well with triple is that rocket on top that's a um, new
1: turret possibly is it the no it's not I was going to say is it the um, torpedo turrets but it's definitely not no. those Right.
0: No. I'm not sure you'd want to put a torpedo turret on a flying machine might be a bit difficult
1: <laughs> no well they have <laughs> torpedo planes in now don't they so you know yeah I mean, having them on, on top of your plane is probably a very bad idea. Woo! <laughs> 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 yeah. No,
0: it was a rocket launch. Oh and there, there, there is a rule for aerial torpedoes, isn't there? Possibly, uh, yes. You know, we'll have to get the all back to find out what it's actually armed with, but I think they're aerial rockets.
1: Yeah. Again, so cool.
0: Finally, we've got the small Saxon rotor, which is their scout vehicle, uh, which looks acro- across between the vertical flyer. We've got along with. A, with a more conventional airplane, as it's got rear, rear-facing engines on the wings. If mm-hmm. I remember right from the drawings, they're actually props, not jets. But yeah, that again looks extremely cool.
1: Yeah, I, it it really reminds me, I'm, I've not been able to put my finger on what it is, but the sort of long top wings, and the smaller under wings, and the nose shape reminds me, it, like there's something in my brain that's going... I recognise this. I know this from somewhere, but I cannot put my finger on what it is. For the life of me.
0: It's not Tailspin, is it? No. Blues plane. No, no that looks more like the um, Tintagel. But yeah, Blue, Blues Aircraft in Tailspin. That was a good. That's a good example of Art Deco design. Yeah. Okay. So the the Crown Flyers again. Ten out of ten from us.
1: Yeah, they look amazing. Like. If this is what they look like, when that Avalon Sky Fortress comes out, man, uh, that's that's even more exciting. Like the 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 prospect of that not only coming out, but being as accurate to the drawing as the Sky Fortress, that's that's insane. Because that the amount of detail that's on that, it's it's going to be insane. It's going to be so so good. Mm -hmm. Cannot wait for that. We've
0: got new boats. Ships, ships, boats. I call them boats.
1: <laughs>
0: you can call them ships if you want.
1: Don't make me saxon you. I'll do it.
0: Claxon, <laughs> not saxon. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> woof, woof. Okay, ships. Maybe call them boats. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: <laughs> fine. Okay. I, I can't be bothered to find that sound effect out. It's been like seven episodes since I last used it, surely. So it's fine. But yeah, the the ships. I love the front whole thing, it's like the.
0: It looks like a blade of armor doesn't it?
1: Yeah, the, like the indentations and that, like the, the way it sort of dent. It, what's the word I'm looking for? It concaves inwards. Indented. Yeah, it just it looks so cool. It looks like you say it looks like really heavily armoured, yeah. and it's going to be so easy to tell the difference between like your standard British crown ships and then your. Canadian crown ships,
0: but saying that there is a lot of similar as well. The engine pods on the side are still very <clears> similar <throat> to the crown ones. There's a lot tying it together, and there's a lot to make it stand out. Yeah, the, I like the little um, shield wing shields they've got on the front. Yes, it, yeah. I've just realised what it reminds me of. I'm sure that's a hot. There's a hockey. There's a, the Canadian hockey teams use that sort of winged logo with flaming wings and things. It's very that's Canadian. Fine.
1: I I mean people when I showed off my um, colour scheme for the crown that I proposed with the dark green front part instead of red I was I was met with I can't believe you've not painted them red why haven't you painted them red Hmm. they should be red and I'm like I'm going to paint the Canadians red red," because that makes the most sense to me
0: British Racing Green you went with didn't you it looks good
1: and, and like Victorians used to do a lot of their stuff in that really dark green color it was a yeah. really popular color scheme at that time so runs it just with, makes sense. Runs
0: with green to give it a pop.
1: Yep. There,
0: there you go. Things History. I learned from looking at steam trains.
1: <laughs>
0: and the Canadian ships they make and one two three five different classes yeah, five, the cruiser makes five different classes of ship. The, to, the one you're probably going to want is the Toronto, because that comes with the radar dish, and apparently that can be a command unit if you make two of them.
1: Apparently. Oh, nice.
0: The other one I think people are going to want is the Halifax with the double shield generator mounted to the back, which looks cool for a start. It's, it's not flat like not most shield generators. It's actually standing up with two, two, two shield generators on an angle. And that's, uh, apparently, it's to boost the the already powerful Guardian Shield pool that you get from uh, Crown Ships. Yeah. So that's going to be a tactical want. Hmm. And then you've got your various options. So you've got the Yukon, your standard combat options. Basically, the difference is whether they have a long back or a short back. So you've got your Newfoundland, your Bonaventure and Yukon class couldn't pick a bad option from any of those but I can pick two good, really good options
1: yeah I think the Halifax and the um, Toronto are definitely going to be yeah, not more only likely only picked
0: aesthetically good as well that radar dish does look pretty cool and yep. the shield generator on the back of the, of the Halifax looks incredible
1: yeah reminds me of the um, buzz droids from Star Wars yes! episode 3 <laughs> yeah
0: that's yeah. it and then finally we get a <laughs> micro submarine called the Orca a little tiny submarine yeah. so
1: it uh, it also looks like a whale sort of
0: yes it's it, I think I think um, I would Good. say that's definitely designed around a whale uh, probably a killer whale because it's called an orca
1: yeah I was just about to say it doesn't look like an orca to me though but I don't know maybe it maybe it does am not sure it's
0: it's definitely, it's aquatic anyway. Yeah. And that's a nice, it's a lovely little model. To single, that'll be a single piece model. So those, yeah, are the models, so those are the models in the new set that's coming out. But that wasn't the only set they're releasing this month. And we completely forgot to talk about this with, with uh, Stuart and Chris when we got there because we were so excited about the Skies. But also, the Empire are getting their Colossus. Whoa, these are cool! These are so cool.
1: <laughs> yep, they are amazing. <laughs> I mean, they they just remind me so much of the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea with their like wibbly arms fighting the giant squid on top of the submarine.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, they're great. Again, heavily armored, segmented mechanical eyes and then you've got these wonderful two technical attachments so you've got a choice of a shooty one and a grabby one and the I'm going to be very careful how I say this so there's the Kaiju class which is I think the shooty one with the spikes they look like some sort of uh, lasers and then the grabby one this is the one I'm going to be a little unsure of <laughs> how you say this Ofakaro car eh? off a, off a, I'll I'll go with that. That sounds good. I'm gonna. If I stumble over that, that's just gonna.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get censored. Don't you do it, Sam? Off a caro. Off a okay. Yeah, they look awesome. Oh, yeah, they?
0: and I love how the Unmentionable class has two little, two little cheetah in its hull because its its job is to repair the cheetah class, cheetah automatons <laughs> the little, the tiny little squids of which you get two of.
1: Yep. Brilliant. It's, it's great they're both just again uh, I think if I remember rightly this is one of the artworks that drew you into the Empire as a faction yeah. and the game as a whole it was one of those pieces of concept art that we saw and which just like that's amazing when is that coming out and it's finally here it is and it's as always fully done justice and looks and looks cool
0: Yeah, you say say the the empire. me into the empire. I've yet to buy anything for the empire yet, but I still want to. I will. I will. I will get the empire.
1: This could be your first purchase.
0: This could be my first first purchase. Yes, I want this and the Japanese fleet. Mm -hmm. I like Ningjing, but I think I prefer the Japanese one. Yeah. So that's those, and then we've got the it's not a re-release it? it's, it's the the subs from the Black Wolf so it, this is the Akula Battlefleet set so instead of the Black Wolf set where you get the, the submarines and you get the Death the Donut of Doom the Donut of Doom, the Anastasia and some ships this is just the submarines so if you've already got your own personal Donut of Doom this is your way to get your subs as I mentioned in our last podcast these are so nice yeah again I do I do play Commonwealth from the Star Set and I so want these to go next to my Commonwealth my Commonwealth fleet these ships these submarines are the whales the whales testicles
1: <laughs> they absolutely are I didn't think it was possible <laughs> but painting them makes them look even better than they did unpainted and I genuinely did not think that you could make them look better than they did already. The dark hull with the red pop out and the sort of slightly yellow metallic accents just it it works so well. It, it looks incredible. It does.
0: I, I I just looked at the cooler class and just thought you could paint that like Stingray
1: because <laughs> it does look like Stingray. Yep. That's that's what my original enlightened battle fleet paint scheme was based on the stingray because the the very sort of rounded but pointy holes on the enlightened ships made me think of stingray and i was like oh i could do this in a sort of enlightened stingray colors oh,
0: <laughs> Yeah, and then finally the Black, Bay- Black Lake Bayou set is now available as separates. Yep. And if you've got the room for it, because they're not they're not small, the paddle steamer and the, as we've mentioned before, the manor house. Good grief! The the scenics just keep getting better. They really do. Yep. I think, oh yeah, this is my favourite scenic. Then the next the next series comes out, I'm like, okay, no, this is my favourite scenic. I thought Rio Sonora was the best, and now I'm just like, no, this is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This. I think, maybe not the manor, although I do want the manor just as a board by itself, because playing inside the house would be quite fun. Maybe that could work for Mythos. I'm not sure, because I don't, we've never played Mythos, but, but just being able to get that paddle steamer, and the houseboat and the the small but on its own. Yeah. Because I get the feeling that on a four by four or three by three that that manor house will eat up most of it. It'll look awesome and it'll be yeah. cool to play inside, but you won't have a lot of space outside to play with. You'd
0: probably want a six by four, wouldn't
1: you? Yeah. Back. Yeah. Whereas with the paddle steamer, the houseboat and the little abandoned house plus mm-hmm the already out there in Zombu kit.
0: Yeah.
1: You can make a lovely little swamp table with that and a couple of dying trees. I think that'd look, look epic. And it would.
0: Yeah, that, that will definitely look epic. So, that's the models for this month. Get your pre-orders in. And as we yeah. said, Seriously, I think the next month end of October for November will be the last set of pre-orders because they usually don't do one at the end of November
1: December the yep. at that point stopped. being stopped. prediction, Hatcherman.
0: I think, I think you may be right with that
1: I think we won't see a big Alliance box until next year now maybe we've already had confirmation that the contents of Sturgeonium Skies on the Sturgeonium Lounge today Stuart has said that the contents of the box will not be available separately until next year, so it's definitely not going to be those. So it could be an Alliance big box, maybe, but I very much doubt it. But the Hatchiman's been waiting in the wings, I imagine, for a while, because it's been on the Orbats for quite some time now, hasn't it?
0: It has, yeah. So it's sitting on the Orbats, so it's ready for release.
1: Yeah, it's got it's got to be at least soon. Super- you know,
0: really, it stops being artwork, and the artwork disappears, and you think, ah, it's in the Orbat now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Me soon Yeah, so that, that's my bold prediction hmm.
0: we shall see we shall see will we see a Christmas model
1: who knows fingers crossed yeah. hopefully we'll get 12 days of Christmas as well again because that's always fun to see <laughs> oh
0: that was good
1: wasn't it oh, yeah man. that was that was fantastic that will do us for this month thanks for listening everybody
0: until next time happy trails pilgrims File number Ad Calum two zero two nine zero five two. File closed. Agent Markov remains at large.